0: amen amen so previously in acts uh, we learned about uh, the arrest the incarceration of peter and john or actually the apostles uh, once again uh, for preaching the gospel and stirring up uh, the people who are coming to be healed um, to have their friends and neighbors people actually in surrounding towns of jerusalem not just in jerusalem proper but surrounding Uh, Towns are coming to the temple into Solomon Solomon's portico Um, uh, We talked about spaz Solomon's portico uh, autonomous zone um, Where the people the believers are gathering and experiencing these uh, wonders and works um, The apostles are doing and also hearing the word the gospel uh, the scripture and 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 the message of jesus christ uh, the messiah and the resurrected one and so This is irritating and upsetting um, the Pharisees, the temple leaders, and so the apostles are arrested, they're jailed, an angel releases them from prison and tells them to go back to what they're doing, back to Solomon's portico to preach and do miracles. And uh, they are captured once again and taken to the Sanhedrin where they're interrogated and later they're released, Uh, but first um, they're they're whipped, they're punished, and told never to speak of the resurrection of Jesus again. So as we head into our chapter, chapter 6, I wanted to uh, share a little bit uh, more about my own experience uh, growing up. As uh, if you don't know, I'm a second generation Korean American, um, and I was born in the United States in Honolulu, Hawaii. Yes, Hawaii is a state in the United States, contrary to some people's beliefs at home, um, and we ate Korean food. We had Korean customs. we were raised to respect Korean traditions and have uh, respect elders. For instance, we we're punished in Korean ways, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, and also a Christian home because my pa- uh, father was a pastor of a Korean church. Sometimes Japanese churches because he's fluent in Japanese as well. But anyway, so Christian home. Korean at home, English and American dominant culture at school, you know, when I was at school. So uh, second generation, um, kids like me, we're called bicultural, bicultural meaning we have a foot in two different cultures. The culture at home, of the homeland, the motherland, and the culture um, in our, as we're growing up in the States that we experience at school, at work the larger culture in the neighborhood with our friends. And so you learn how to um, have fluency in both places and learn how to code switch or flip a switch and adjust uh, in order to assimilate more. Anyways, so I grew up in a uh, second generation Korean in the Korean home and uh, PK, pastor's kid, and growing up in mostly in the Korean immigrant church. Um, uh, My father's a pastor and uh, mostly a church planter, so he's, you know, planted many, 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 many Korean churches in his time uh, moving around in the United States. And I grew up assuming that if you were a pastor, you needed to be bivocational. uh, Because that was my father's experience, that was our experience growing up in the home of a pastor that my understanding was uh, the churches the small Korean church starts um, that my father led were not and started were not uh, big enough were not financially in the place to fully pay their pastor so my dad never got paid hardly ever got paid by the churches that he started and served at and led at Um, and so he was by vocational he worked um, uh, self-employed as a contractor. He would remodel buildings or remodel homes. Uh, he was really good at it. But for most of his week, he worked hard, long hours, long physical hours, you know, remodeling and working with tools and building stuff. And then after that, you know, the rest of his time was being a pastor of a Korean church, visiting people, praying for people, visiting the sick. Sermon prep, Bible study prep, early morning prayer service, all of these things. And my father worked hard. I grew up with the paradigm that pastors worked really hard to be freed up to live out their calling, their true calling and purpose. Like his calling and purpose wasn't to be a contractor, wasn't remodeling houses. He was only remodeling houses and working hard So that he can put (laughs) he can pay the bills, put food on the table, give us the things we wanted, so our family to support the family and be freed up to do the ministry of the church. What I learned from that is not getting paid for ministry means that you're much more passionate about ministry. That was my experience, and that's what experience I saw with my other friends whose fathers were pastors or other Korean pastors that I saw. Because you're not, they weren't doing money for, or they weren't doing ministry for a contract for the pay, but they were simply doing it for the love of the game, right? There's no million dollar contract like athletes get. Multi-million dollar contract. Just the love of the game, right? And this type of fire, I still believe this type of fire burns hotter than most in my experience. Because, yeah, it's not for the money, it's not for the title, it's not for the status, it's not for being a famous pastor with a big church, right? Sometimes it involves working tireless jobs with no one, no one cares. And maybe they're humble jobs too physical, blue collar labor jobs, when you want to be doing something else, when you want to be preaching the gospel, when you want to be meeting with people, you're hammering those nails and you're painting the fence, right? And so the reason why you're more in touch with the reasons, my father, I feel, was more in touch with the reasons why he was pastoring. And so he had a fire and a passion But one of the challenges of, uh, you know, now as I'm a church planner, as I'm a pastor myself, and part of a denomination, um, and a denomination, uh, the ECC, the Covenant, that's very multicultural, that's actually growing because of uh, multi-ethnic churches um, being planted and started, or adopting into our denomination, and ethnic churches, Hispanic, Asian churches, and other churches um, that are coming into the covenant um, because of our values, because of our openness uh, to diversity, mercy, justice. Um, One of the challenges of being in a denomination that is multicultural and diverse on the clergy level is working with the realities of differing economic statuses and disparities among pastors from different backgrounds and um, it's it's a challenge we need to we need to address and look at and i think in our passage in acts we see and we learn in verse one in those days when the number of disciples were increasing that's another uh, part of the scripture that's saying this church is growing we heard that in the previous chapters and then the chapters before them before that in the acts summaries we learned that this church is growing And the numbers of believers are being added daily. And this growth is becoming exponential. The Holy Spirit is truly working. Because as we learned in chapter 5, persecution is mounting. The pressure is mounting. The heat is rising. And the apostles' lives are being threatened. They have been whipped physically. And so there's fear. There's cost. To being a Christian. There's cost to following Jesus and it's a very real cost but even as this cost exists the scripture says the number of disciples is increasing ever increasing. What a miracle. What amazing growth and this is what the spirit is doing. And what we're going to begin to find as we go through chapter 6 here to 7 to chapter 8 and 9 is that there's going to start to be a transition or a shift because we can't forget if we go all the way back to chapter 1 verse 8, what is the mission statement of the church? What does Jesus say is going to be the mission of the Holy Spirit and the mission of Of the Holy Spirit infused church. That mission statement by Jesus is. And you wait here and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what uh, verse 8. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. Period. No. In Jerusalem comma. And all of Judea period. No. No. And Samaria, Gentile, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission statement, the, the end game, right? The strategy or the plan is not for the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus' followers and witnesses to be only centered in Jerusalem, only centered in one place only centered among one people, one culture, one language, but to expand and to move outward, move outward to the surrounding geographies, to the surrounding cultures, to the surrounding languages, not just among the people of Israel or those of Jewish ancestry, but also Samaritans, the Greeks, the Romans. That is the mission statement to the ends of the earth. And in this first part of Acts, up to this point, up to chapter 6, we've only been focused on the events in Jerusalem, right? We've been in Jerusalem this whole time. But we have also had hints here and there of an impending plan, of an impending expansion, a movement, beyond just the bounds of Jerusalem, right? Little seeds are being planted. Remember at Pentecost, right? We get that geographic map, right? People are visiting from outside, right? In these different countries around Jerusalem, right? Other cultures, other nations, other tongues came and gathered in Jerusalem and witnessed this event at Pentecost and heard, right, the gospel in their mother tongue. And so we get this kind of seed implanted in us. Oh, there's different people who speak different languages, who live in different cultures that are gathered here in this one place in Jerusalem and are hearing the Holy Spirit and the gospel are being are receiving the gospel in their language, and when we talked about Pentecost, we also mentioned the Tower of Babel, right? How the the mixing of languages actually wasn't part of the curse, right? But the mix, the scattering and the mixing of languages is for it was a blessing for God to continue His desire for people to spread out, right? To to be fruitful and multiply, and that's God saying. His constant desire for his people is to be a blessing to nations. Is to spread out, not just not just stay in one place and build a tower, but to spread out. And that's what we see at Babel, and that's what um, that's what we see here. The term diaspora refers to Jewish dispersion, right? I, I'm just a even now today we say diaspora. It just means uh, people of Jewish um, eth- uh, ethnicity and culture um, being outside of Palestine, right? United States, other countries. It's a, it's a technical name for any nation outside of Palestine where Jewish people had come to live. So in the Old Testament, when we refer to the diaspora, it's people who are, are in exile, right? We learn, you know, when various empires um, take over, um, Jerusalem and sacked the temple, you know, the people of Israel are exiled to uh, their foreign, the lands of their foreign occupiers. That's the diaspora. They're, in a, they're Jewish in religion and culture. They're Hebrew, but they're spread out and exiled to other countries. And the uniqueness of being a person in the diaspora, being a people Of the diaspora is you're in a foreign place. You're in a foreign country. But you're still hold on to the culture of your parents. You still hold on to what it means to be followers of God. The customs, the rituals, the religion, the faith. And that's the challenge. You're you're influenced by the culture, the foreign culture that you're now living in. And yet you're trying to keep the boundaries and lines of what it means to be unique as the people of Israel. And so that's the concept of diaspora. Scripturally, um, in the end, the Old Testament diaspora refers to the dispersion, once again, of Jews among the Gentiles, um, or the Jews scattered among the lands of the Gentiles. In the New Testament, in this diaspora outside of Judea and the surrounding lands, are people of. Uh, Jewish descent, right, people of Israel, but they're speaking Greek. They're speaking other languages. They're living in non-Jewish nations. Um, And so when we hit chapter 6, this kind of idea is very important because we learn of a group called the Hellenists. And who the Hellenists are, are Greek-speaking Jewish people, right? And in this case it's Greek-speaking Jewish people who have become Christians because of what's been happening in Jerusalem and the gospel being witnessed to. So they're from, they're influenced by Greek culture because they've lived, either they've lived, they've lived in the uh, diaspora and Greek cultured um, nations, areas, cities, or areas where there's non-Jewish majority. Um, so, um, so those are the Hellenists. So what's happening here? The disciples are increasing. The church is getting bigger. And anytime an organization, maybe you started off as an intimate group. Like just think of church. Maybe you're part of, we're a part of a church plant or a small church that experienced great growth. And in that great growth, right? What happens? More drama. More problems. Or you have to adjust and organize more in order to, to to accommodate this growth. You can't stay the same in your structures or how you do things because you're doing what you're doing for for 10 people is going to be very different than what you do for 2000 people, right? That's natural in any organizational growth. So we're experiencing this great growth in the church. And now we begin to see tension, right? Before we learned that people would sell things and bring, lay the resources and money at uh, the apostles' feet and the apostles would give them to people in need and people, there would be no one in need. But here we see our first complaint. There does become people in need. We do see and realize that there Is rising among the people a complaint. And this complaint is coming from a specific cultural group. Right? And this we have to remember this when we read the Bible. There's so much in scripture around culture. Right? Different differences in culture, differences in Ethnicity, think differences in language, and the dynamics that happen when you're in a diverse community. We can't miss that. We can't gloss over that. We can't whitewash scripture. We have to look at the details of this. It's not just some people were complaining because they weren't getting food. It's the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Hellenistic Jews... Hebraic Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And here we hear, when we hear the word widows, we, we automatically, or not maybe automatically, but if you are familiar with Scripture, that'll come up like, oh, widows, that's that's in that list in Scripture, right? Take care of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the stranger, right? That, those were God's words in the law and in like Leviticus and Deuteronomy right to the people of Israel like you need to be blessing You are my people unique and distinct But that's not a that's not just to stay there and be unique and distinct Or special and at the exclusion of everyone You need to take care of the marginalized The weakest of the weak the most Dependent the most the people that are most stepped on right In this this culture, widows, they no longer have a husband, right? Who was providing, who was doing work, right? To provide for the family. So there was no means by which they would be fed or they would be taken care of. Orphans have no parents. Who's going to take care of them? If not the community of God. Right? So, widows were being overlooked. And this is, You know, God's special heart for vulnerable groups like the widows. They're being overlooked. They're not being taken care of. And something unfair, systemically unfair is happening. Like, I don't know, it it doesn't go into detail. But for some reason, ethnically, culturally speaking, there's a complaint by one cultural group against the main cultural group, right? The Hellenist Jews against the Hebraic Jews. Those of Greek culture were complaining against those um, um, of Jewish culture, um, Christians. So we see that, that that system of laying resources at the apostles' feet and sharing things Right? There's a little, it's not, it's not perfect. There's something coming up. And it's interesting that this first sign of disparity or, or complaint or injustice or systemic injustice has is down ethnic lines. We must see this. It's one, down ethnic lines. And it's two, it's hurting the most vulnerable, the widows. Are you with me, church? So the daily distribution of food. And so I guess, you know, Maybe they had a food bank or a community meal of some sort where people would be taken care of and, you know, food would be handed out or meals would be handed out to people uh, who couldn't take care of, who weren't working on their own, who weren't subsistent, um, but were dependent upon the community. And so there's this problem. And it says that the 12, that you remember, the original 12 apostles gathered all the de- uh, disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> brothers and sisters. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. The 12 apostles gathered and basically there's like man
1: we got a lot on our
0: plate no pun intended we have a lot on our plate we need to preach the gospel right we're apostles (laughs) we need to preach the gospels and teach people we can't be waiters we can't wait on tables and serve serve people at the food bank Right? We got too much on our plate. Um, So they do what, you know, many of us have done when we've been a part of something that was organic and now it's growing, but there's problems that arise. We have to administrate, right? We have to delegate. We have to start organizing a lot more. And so you see here, maybe, perhaps, in Acts... um, an example or a model for organizing. And a lot of times when you hear sermons on Acts 6, that's what it's about, right? Oh, here is an example, you leaders, pastors of the church. Like when things get big and you have problems, you should delegate and you should choose leaders and delegate things. Yeah, that's a that's an okay message, but I think it totally misses the point, right? It's not what this is about it is partially what this is about but we need to once again look at the details of who these people are who they're choosing and what people are saying and then what is happening in acts with the holy spirit wanting to move out it's not saying oh if you're a pastor or you're an apostle Right? Look, the apostle said they have to focus on preaching and not waiting on tables. I don't think this passage is giving, saying to pastors, you don't have to serve people. Like, serving at the food bank is below you. Only preaching. You should only be doing preaching. That's not the application of this. Because you know what? You know who's doing the renewed food bank right now? It's all the past staff of Renew, all the pastors of Renew are doing the food bank. So obviously, that's not our application. But the point is, is that there's conflict, there's cultural conflict, right? And certain people are being overlooked. And so, what the apostles say. Is let's pick these men to oversee this. But when you look at the list of men, there's a, a couple of things we have to pay attention to, right? They chose Stephen, they chose Philip, they chose Procurus, they chose Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, who is from Antioch and a convert to Judaism. Right? They chose, all those guys have Greek names, they're Hellenists, right? We see, you know, the, the detailed description of Nicholas was from Antioch and converted to Judaism. And so they chose a representative leadership, right? We're seeing Greek names. Secondly, when you look at, they chose Stephen. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It's not just uh, his ethnicity or his language or that he was he had a Greek, Greek flavor, right? It's also full, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Right? Someone full of the Holy Spirit. And we remember when the apostles, like Peter himself, is filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? He preaches boldly, right? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly. The people, when they were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to preach and teach the gospel with boldness. Right? And I think the same thing is happening here. God is raising up new apostles. They look different. They speak different. They dress different. They may eat different foods. They may be from different countries. They grew up in a different hood. They're not, you know, they're not quintessentially Jewish, right? They didn't grow up in Jerusalem. They hang out in the, they eat their food at the International District. They don't go to McDonald's, right? They go to dim sum. So they look different, but. I think that they're being anointed as apostles, not just to wait tables. Another thing we have to see is the church has definitely developed here. Because remember when they chose the replacement apostle, the replacement disciple for uh, Judas, who killed himself, what did they do for Matthias? They cast lots, right? So primitive. It's like, oh, let's roll the dice. Oh, you're the next person, right? But here, we see a proposal, and the whole, the proposal pleased the whole group. It wasn't just, oh, let's do roll the dice. It was let's. There's a strategic proposal, right? This is how we should do it, and we should be intentional about who we choose culturally. Right? We need to have representative leadership. And we need to be intentional about this and present this proposal. And guess what? The whole group was pleased with this. Why? Because they were probably like, like the Hellenists were probably like, oh, we like Philip. We know Philip. He's, he speaks for us. He knows, right? He's one of us. Oh, we know Timon. Oh, Nicholas from Antioch, right? He was he's a convert. Like he knows what it means to grow up with our background. Full of faith in Holy Spirit, just like the apostles. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't show favoritism. The Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. The Holy Spirit is begin beginning to fill other people, not just this one group ethnic group of people but it's the holy spirit is beginning to doesn't doesn't uh doesn't have prejudice and then we see verse 7 what so the word of god spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith a large number of priests became obedient to the faith They delegate the servant work, right, to these Greek Hellenist men. But the result of that is exactly what the apostles were trying to free themselves up to do. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And you may say, well, yeah, because they were freed up. The apostles were freed up. So they were able to do more evangelism, more apostleship, more preaching, more teaching. And so the word of God spread because the apostles were freed up to do the work of the word of God. Yes, maybe. But then the following chapters are all about what? We don't. After 10, we don't hear much about Peter and the other, other and the Jerusalem church and the other apostles very much. We do see them later on. But when we hit 10 with the conversion of Saul, we're gonna see a complete shift in Acts away from Jerusalem. We don't hear it. like it ends almost. Like no more church in Jerusalem. It becomes the ministry of the Gentiles. Right? And actually, at the end of our passage here. We learn more about Stephen. And then later on, we don't hear about Peter. We hear about Stephen getting persecuted and stoned. Stephen being the one preaching. I thought he was supposed to be serving the widows. Oh, we see Stephen preaching too. So going back to my story of my immigrant pastor father, right? there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class pastors. And there's no job too menial, right? And that's something we should pull together as the church. What matters is that we're infused, we're full of the spirit and of wisdom like these men, like Stephen, right? And maybe the initial assignment was, oh, go wait on tables for these widows, go wait on tables. (laughs) Maybe you've felt like this in church before, right? Oh my gosh, why doesn't anybody see me? Why doesn't anyone give me a, a bigger job, right? I could do this, I just have to make coffee in the morning. But we know, right, if you're faithful in a small you're faithful in the big. And sometimes, some, what you're doing right now may seem like, oh my gosh, I'm just waiting on tables. One, waiting on tables is not a small thing, right? We shouldn't say that's less because it's servant related because God, God finds widows, the orphan, the stranger and foreigner, very important. They're very important in his eyes, right? And to be a part of the church serving, who God finds important, is vital and important. And we see that a handful of these men go on to do the preaching of the word. They become the main characters. They became doing apostles' work, the work of disciples. So don't underestimate. There's a lot of lessons in this for the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, right? As we grow, there's a lot of systemic things that creates hardship for, uh, that are along ethnic lines. And we need to start listening when complaints arise, like we're not being treated fairly, and this has to do with our culture. When you hear that, don't get defensive, right? But listen because God cares. Number two, you need to be, we need to be intentional about who who we bring into leadership. If God is doing a new thing and the spirit is moving, that means we have to have new leadership. Does that make sense, church? In in Acts 6, we see the beginning of a culture shift, cultural tension means that a culture shift is happening. And the church has been notoriously slow at culture shift. That's probably why we struggle with diversity. That's probably why we struggle with young adults leaving the church. Because when the culture shifts, we this is the way. But when culture shifts, you have to have a leadership shift. right? And that... At Renew, we're all about it. When we move with the Holy Spirit, that means, man, we're looking for who God is raising up full of the Spirit and full of wisdom and God's grace and power. We're looking for the Stevens, right, of the world or Stephanies of the world. When there's a culture shift that calls for new leaders and we're always looking for new leaders, new servants. To take up the mantle to feed to wait on tables Because the spirits not gonna stop there the spirit is gonna compel You to do powerful things We must see this That God is raising these people up not just to wait on tables, but to do the work of the Apostles and they're different. The spirit is raising up new leaders for the work for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, begin to go to the ends of the earth. Culture shift involves leadership shift. And if we're close to that, we will never fulfill God's desire for us to be a multi spirit-infused, multi-ethnic church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And we've been given this word in clay vessels. We're we're mere carriers of the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to stop building boundaries and building walls and building barbed wire fences around what the gift that you've given us, but instead to hold it loosely to share with those around us. Just as we've been invited into your story, the story of Israel, and it's meant life for us, may we invite other people to enter the story, that same story that's relevant and contextual to them. Good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.